be here. So good to be here. It's good to see a few students who are back for the weekend, haven't seen for a while. Welcome. I heard last night was powerful, getting together. Uh, so yes, God is visiting us. He's doing good things, and it's great to be in the thick of it with you. I wanted to, first of all, just acknowledge that we really just are coming off of a historic week in um, I, I knew I was going to get emotional because I've literally been praying for this since I was a kid. Um, but because God is the defender of the defenseless, the father of the fatherless, it's just something so noteworthy that Roe v. Wade was overturned in this past week. And we, um, you know, as, as fellow, not with any judgment towards anyone, as, as those who were that come out of sin and deal with sin, not judgmentally, but also knowing we're called to advocate for the defenseless and for justice. And there has never been a greater evil in human history than the, than the evil of abortion. Just in our country, it's killed over 60 million people in the last 40 million years, 60 million preborn people. And, but it's so, and it's not over. Um, you know, this, the, it's the, what the our goal is not just for it to become allowable for states to restrict abortion, but for abortion to become um, unimaginable. Like we would think of, of race-based slavery now. Like, how could people do that? But God wants to change the hearts of, our, of people so much to where we realize, oh man, that's just, we must care for the defenseless. But it's also very important to recognize that the reason this happened is, yes, the mercy of God, but also the diligent, committed, sacrificial, prayerful, efforts of millions and millions of, of believers, really. I mean, it is the people of God who have prayed and have advocated and counseled and put up billboards on their property and like, acted to, to produce pressure to see something happen. And it has, something very significant has happened. And I think that's very fitting for us as we're talking this summer, as we're going through First Peter about elect versus elites. That realizing that the people of God are the answer for the world. I mean, obviously Jesus is the answer, but we are his body, and he brings change through us. And it's so important that we, like, the, our identity and seeing who we are. Like, we see, like, are we a, a couple dozen people in a room on a Sunday morning with all of our weaknesses and faux pas and issues and bad breath and all that? Like, that's easy to see and feel. But to realize when God sees us, he, we're his chosen people. And as we're going through 1 Peter, we're looking at what that means and what our identity is and the lifestyle that he's called us to live as people of faith. I, just last night, um, I, um, I saw this picture of, um, on my Instagram feed. There we go. This was yesterday, literally. This was outside the Supreme Court. This was people protesting the decision. And this is, you know, a mom who looks quite nearly full term. And she's got that message, not yet human, not yet a human, about the unborn baby in her womb. And this, for one thing, shows us that, man, hearts and minds have a long ways to go to be changed. But also, if you think about, think about this, like, this baby's going to be born. And there's not going to, there, there are going to be holes 
in his or her life. It's not just like the parents can go like, okay, now you're born, now we love you. But before that moment, you know, we considered you not human. There, there are effects that those beliefs are having upon this child. Because what you, the, the beliefs and the values that, that are around you influence how you see yourself. And ultimately, what you believe about yourself has a huge effect on your life. And just, I mean, so it's pretty easy to see like, wow, there is an assault on, on this child. There is an assault to, to degrade and to not give it the loving environment that he or she needs to flourish and to, to live a, a prosperous life. Um, but just as much as that, the messages that come to us about our identity and our value are also from the enemy designed to, to counter the sort of confidence and hope that we were meant to live with. They're designed, if we don't know our real identity, if we listen to the lies of the enemy, which we all do, that tell us that we're less than fully human, or you know, that we fall short, in, uh, in, in these, that we are not fully loved and valued, or that we don't see the fullness of our calling, and that has, a huge, that has a huge effect on us. And so looking through First Peter and elect versus elite, it's just so important um, to see that if the enemy can give us a different, less than full identity, we won't experience the joy and confidence that God intends for us. And then we also won't have the impact that God designed us to have. And so this is a really important battle. Um, I just backtrack a little bit, just looking at my notes. I was like, oh, I was going to say that too. Uh, as far as the whole the abortion issue, I just want to say that it's, it's not over. And it really, like, it's more like going back to, like, public discourse now, where it's like, okay, now it's going to be our elected representatives who make the laws, not the Supreme Court who just pulled something out of who knows where 49 years ago. But actually now it's going to be according to the laws, and it's going to be according to the, the values and beliefs. And so this is so important. And we do have a very important... Uh, bill on our ballot here in Kansas, the value in both amendment in August. And so that is going to say, if that passes, that will say that the Kansas Constitution doesn't give a right to abortion. Um, basically the same thing as this overturning Roe v. Wade does. It's going to say, hey, that's a joke. When the Kansas Supreme Court said abortion was in our Constitution, that's not true. But let's clarify it here so that we can actually um, pass laws accordingly. So if you're not registered to vote, get registered, vote, get, I ordered bumper stickers and signs. They haven't arrived yet. They told me this week that they're back, they're back ordered. Um, but I think everything we can do to promote this, we should. All right. Um, so first Peter, seeing the identity and calling God has given us. I'm just going to, we're going to read, we're going to backtrack a few verses from what Jesse led us through last week at the end of um, chapter one. And then we're going to go through the first uh, 12 verses of chapter 2 this morning. So just, just backtracking here. Um, Lord, help us. Help us today. Help us make your word come alive in our hearts. Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth. We've been talking about how salvation is not just what happens when we pray a prayer and it's done, but it's an ongoing process. And so this is talking about that, this purifying our souls, the transformation of our souls, 
since you've purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. So I think that's just so important. One of the most important outcomes of God transforming us is birthing a love in us for one another and for other people. And the evidence of God changing us and his salvation coming to us is that we are loving others and that love is increasing from our hearts. Um, since that's happened, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. So important to recognize that all this identity, all this life we're called to, it's by God's power, not ours. It's because you've been born again. That's not something you did. That was your response to Jesus and the gospel. And God did something. You were born again by his, and of something that's imperishable, something that's beyond our ability. And so everything we're talking about here, it's, it's on the foundation of, okay, this is God's grace. This is God's power. This is his work in our life. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. But the thing that brings us new life is God, and it's specifically his word. Think about that. When any of us became a believer, when any of us became born again, it's because we heard a message. We heard words about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit activated those words, and they brought understanding and faith in our heart. And something happened, and we responded and came into this new life. So the same word that God spoke and created the universe, his word comes to us and gives us new life. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. All right, I'm just reminding you that you heard a word, you heard a message, you heard the word of God. It was preached to you, it came to you, you responded. That's what changed you. And so, remember that. Chapter 2. Therefore, because of God's grace, because of God's power, because of his work in your life, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Look at that list right there. Last night, it was funny, our, I was home with our two kids at home, Ian and Amzie, and Amzie asked if she could watch a movie, and somehow, I think it was Ian who... I don't know how it came up. All right, wasn't he? All right, he's backing off of this. All right, but somehow the movie Mean Girls came up. And Angie had never seen it. Ian had never seen it. And, and our choices came down to that and what about Bob? And we flipped a coin and it came down to Mean Girls. And who's seen Mean Girls? Just, can I, okay. I asked Anna this morning, like, is this something that like this generation would have all seen? And she's like, yeah, everybody saw Mean Girls. Middle school. So, this list, pretty much, I mean, that's like Mean Girls, right? Malice, <laughs> deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good microcosm of what it's like. I think it's an interesting list because all those things, they're complex. Like, and, and you see that in that movie. It's like the pretend, you know, they're playing games. It's putting on one, one front, but actually underneath it is so much malice, so much backbiting, so much taking people out at any expense to exalt yourself. Um, and so, 
Hey, Phil, good to see you. Uh, so, but we, we are all susceptible to those same things. We are all susceptible to those attitudes and those motives in our, in our own hearts. And so Peter's saying, hey, rid yourselves. All this stuff, this is not the new life you were called to. This is not your true identity. And so you've got to, but you've got to, to get rid of it, you've got to identify it first. And you've got to turn away from it. And so the first, I just got like three kind of main points from this passage I want to make today. The first one is that we, that our salvation is from something and it's for something. We're saved from something. We're saved from sin and all the different myriads of ways that it plays out in our own hearts, in our own lives. Things like malice and deceit and slander and backbiting and selfishness and lust and pride. We're saved from those things which are evil, which are contrary to God, contrary to his kingdom, contrary to our good. But they are very much in us, especially before we're born again. We're saved from those things, but, and we're, we're saved for something. We're called to this new life, to this life of purpose that God has for us. So salvation from something, for something. Um, and I think sometimes we, we forget this as Christians, just how part of the Christian walk it is, how much a part of the Christian walk repentance is. We think it's like, oh, that's what I did when I first got saved. I, 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 yeah, okay, I got to this place of realizing I, I was a sinner, and I, it didn't work out, and I came to the end of my rope, I, I asked God to forgive me my sins, I turned from my sins, and I became a Christian. But we don't realize that repentance is a daily choice, like we have to repent of stuff over and over and over again. Repent of sin, turn to God, turn from our sin, turn to God. Um, that it's interesting, in, early on in, Christ, in the history of the church, when people would be baptized, they, they would do this. They would take off their old clothes and get baptized. And then they would be given a, given a new set of clothes. And they would put those on. And that was a picture just helping to clarify, like, okay, my old life, those old clothes I was wearing, the old attitudes and behaviors, practices, I'm, those are putting off, but I'm putting on new clothes now. And that's something that we got to keep doing, that... I, even, I think the older you are as a Christian, the longer you've been around, it's even like more sinister. To, it's, it's easier to not realize, oh, I need to repent. It's easy to think like, oh, I'm doing pretty good, when actually those religious sort of attitudes are even more pernicious and difficult than, than some of the other ones. So a lot of these, um, so we're safe from something for something. Um, I want to actually jump ahead to the very end of this passage and read the last two verses because it makes this point as well. In verse 11 and 12, Peter writes, he says, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts. I urge you as foreigners and strangers. We've talked about that. Like we're, we're the elect, but we're also strangers. We're, we're foreigners in this world. And so because you're different, you need to abstain from the same lust that the world is, is carrying out. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. So, that's pretty explicit there. It's like, hey, you got these fleshly lusts, you got these 
desires that are strong that if you give them any room, they will just take over. So there's a, here's this radical idea, abstain. Like when you have those desires, say no to those desires. Crucify your flesh and say yes to Jesus. Um, but then it says, for, and then like there's this goal, let your behavior be so excellent. Let it be so different in this culture that, in the, that even though people are like saying bad stuff about you, that ultimately your lifestyle, your good deeds is going to be so different and so exemplary that people are going to glorify God because of your life. Man, that's something to be saved for right there. Like that's what we're called to, to be those kind of people. Um, I, that last phrase, this glorify, that they may glorify God on the day of visitation. I uh, was like, what? I had some ideas about what that was, but I, I dug into it a little bit more. And I just want to read a couple of things that people have written about this. Um, this, this. In this Barnes Notes on the Bible, Barnes writes this. He says, many different opinions have been entertained of the meaning of this phrase. Some referring it to the day of judgment some to the times of persecution, some to the destruction of Jerusalem, and some to the time when the gospel was preached among the Gentiles as a period when God visited them with mercy. So there are all these different ideas. The word visitation means the act of visiting or being visited for any purpose, usually with the notion of inspecting conduct, of inflicting punishment, or of conferring favors. So it's visiting either to bring consequences or favors, um, or you know, positive consequences. Um, this other guy, Ellicott, I like his commentary. He says, from the ordinary use of the words, it would more naturally mean the day when God visits. So it, it could be any of those days. It could have been the day of destruction of Jerusalem that was coming. It could have been, you know, it could speak to the final visitation. But it's more just like different times throughout history when God shows up. And this will mean, not mean only the great last day, but on whatever occasion, God brings matters to a crisis. Any of you know that like our world today is like in that sort of state of matters being brought to a crisis? It's, there are crises all over. I, another um, bedtime thing that we like to do with our kids, there's this great series of books called The Chronicles of Mismantle that we just like stumbled upon when our kids were little somehow. But there's this kingdom of squirrels and otters and moles and hedgehogs. And they're these great characters, but in this, in this world, this island, they live on Mismantle. There are other islands they sometimes travel to. But there are these special nights that occur every once in a while, and it's nights of, of shooting stars. They call them falling stars. And, they, um, they, and, and there are lots of them. And so all the animals get, when, they, when there's a night of falling stars, they all make bonfires and go out by the beach and get together. And they just, there's this wondrous sense of watching these stars shooting across the sky. I've seen Rob here, I remember, you know, he's a star watcher. I remember when he first was, was in Manhattan, he first moved here, a bunch of us went out and watched the big night of shooting stars. And there's that sense of wonder. But in their world, they know that whenever one of those things happens, it's a sign of a day of visitation, basically. That something big is going to happen, either for good or for harm. And so there's all this question like, is, it, is this going to be a good thing? Really, time of favor? Or is it going to be a really difficult situation that happens? And of course, as the books go, you see what it was. Um, usually both. And 
It's interesting, of course, there are times of just great blessing in the world, in our lives, but there, even in the times of great difficulty, you see this in this mantle, like actually really good things, God brings out, they call God the heart in this world, but the heart brings out of, of those circumstances after some really tough times. And it's, this is how God is. Like there are times in history where he visits in unique ways. Um, I believe, you know, God wants, I, I, I just, I think we could be on the cusp of seeing that type of visitation in our world and our culture today. I just want to read this too. The prevailing use of the word in the New Testament would seem to lead us to suppose that the visitation referred to is designed to confer favors rather than to inflict punishment. Now, God's heart is always to bring his favor. You know, he will bring justice, and sometimes that involves punishment, but his desire is to bring his favor. Um, this seems to me to be its meaning here, and if so, the sense is that when God appeared among people to accompany the preaching of the gospel with saving power. You know, there's, there's nothing like revivals and God's visiting when the gospel comes and lives are changed to be the type of visitation. And it's set up by people living these kind of lives that God has called us to. All right, so salvation from something for something. Let's keep reading in, in Peter. Verse, verse 2, verse 3. Um, or sorry, verse 4. <laughs> no, that's not right. I was right already. Verse 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That was verse 1. But in verse 2, and like newborn babies, I know, I'm funny. Go ahead. Let's get him has got the appropriate response, laughing over here. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. The second like, big theme I see in here is that what births us is what grows us. A lot of times we become followers of Jesus by receiving his grace, putting our faith in Jesus. His word comes to us and changes us. But then we try to grow by being good in our own power. But the reality is the thing that brought us in is the same power that grows us, and it's the Word of God. It gives the image here of a newborn baby drinking milk. And you've had a baby or been around babies, you know that they crave milk. They will let you know that they want some milk. They want milk a lot. And in that milk is an incredible mixture of nutrients and fortifications and what that little human being needs to grow, to grow up, to grow healthy, to grow strong, to, to grow quickly. And Peter is saying, hey, in the same way, you crave God's word. Like that same word that made you born again. Crave it, hunger for it, desire it, because... As you hear that word, as you read that word, as it gets in your soul, it changes you. It grows you up. It saves you in the sense of it brings you into becoming the person you were meant to be. I, you know, it's wild. It's like a, a baby doesn't have to, like, it doesn't need to know all the, like, 
reasons why. It doesn't need to know the list of nutrients in that milk. All it needs to do is drink it, and it gets the benefit. And it's the same for us. Like, we don't have to be, even be able to explain, like, what's happening as I read the Bible? What's happening as I listen to God's word being spoken, being preached? But something is happening. And we, you know, if you've experienced this, you know this. I know I've, my life is, is crazy. I'm being a single parent, and it's a lot. Of, I, feel, I can relate more to young moms who try to read the Bible and find it really hard than I ever have in my life. Like, my mornings are just like, oh, God, if I don't get up really early, like, it's just that time gets squeezed. And so oftentimes, like, it's been squeezed more. You know, the last week, it was like, man, there were a lot of days where it was squeezed, and I'm, like, trying to make breakfast, and I've got First Peter playing on my audio Bible, and I'm just like, okay, I play it over and over again. I'm like, okay, I, I think something's good happening here, but I'm not even sure how much I'm connecting with. But, um, but it is. I mean, I, it definitely makes a difference. But then... Later this week, I got, I got a few really good days of just like extended time in the morning with God, reading, his, reading the Bible, and it was just like that, oh man, I just feel like something's happening. Like I'm getting to a place of peace and strength and confidence and just God's presence. Like the way I want to live like this every day. But that's, you know, the thing, and that's, God wants us to crave his word like that. That's the thing that grows us up. Um, the crave the, the, the milk of the word. The, it's interesting that that word, um, this translated word in the, here in the NAS, it's a little tricky to translate. Some, some versions don't even say word. It just says crave spiritual, spiritual milk. But it's, uh, the, the Greek word is logikos. And it means like, make sure I get it right, that which is divinely reasonable. It's more like, it's more like saying the reasonable milk. Crave reasonable milk. You're like, yeah, reasonable milk? Like, that's not a very good brand name. That's not going to sell very well. <laughs> but I think the idea is there's, in God's word, there's a divine reason that supersedes our reason. There's truth. There's, there's truth that we have our own thoughts, and we have our own ways of, like, coming to conclusions and beliefs and we, we do that naturally. And a lot of times, our natural conclusions aren't that good. But they're very, we think they're good. But as we, as we soak up God's word, as we let ourselves be, let it be the mirror that we adjust our life to, that divine reasonableness, we are lifted up into thinking like God and having his thoughts. And that, that changes us. Um, all right, so what births us is what grows us. God's word. So we've got to be hungry for his word. Um, last section here. This is, this is one of those famous passages in Scripture about our identity as God's people. I'm going to make sure I get it right before I say a number here, verse number. All right, verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone. We're talking about Jesus. Coming to Jesus as to a living stone. Well, that's an interesting analogy. Which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Let's pause there, because this is like a lot to process. He's giving this analogy that Jesus is a, a stone out of which a building is being built. And we, we, actually, we see as we go on here that the building he's referring to is the temple. So just as in the Old Testament there was a temple built of stones, he's saying now there's, this, there's a, actually a, the fulfillment of that temple 
is something beyond that that God is building. And Jesus is the cornerstone of that temple. The one that everything, the foundation and cornerstone that everything else is built upon. And he's a, a living stone. It's kind of a wild idea. It's stones, it's stone that's alive. But and then it's saying that you also are living stones. And you're being built up as a spiritual house. So it's saying every believer is a stone who's placed in God's temple next to other stones, connected to Jesus, out of which he's building his temple. That We are the temple of God that he's building in the earth, the place where he is made known, the place where he is experienced, the place where the, the nations are to marvel at who he is, just as they did in the Old Testament when they saw that temple, but way more when they see, wow, these people are radically different. There's something about them. You also are these living stones. Um, built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. So he keeps, he's like throwing like five analogies all mixed together. So he's like, you're stones, you're a temple, but you're also the priest that are inside the temple. All right, so you got that? You're the temple and you're the priest. So you're the ones that like minister God and bring his presence into the world. All right, you got that? You're the temple and you're priest. And uh, to offer spiritual sacrifices. And so you're offering these sacrifices. And we think about that, like what are those sacrifices? They're not sheep or bulls, but the sacrifices are our choices, actually. Like, it's living sacrificially. It's saying no to things that we want, or, or risking, and give, taking of, of what is ours, or risking our time, our resources, our relationships. It's sacrifice, living a sacrificial life. And out of that is something that pleases God, and that, that brings an awareness of him. To the world. So he's like, this is, this is what you're called to, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we can't do this on our own, but through his grace in us, we can offer up sacrifices that are honoring to him and pleasing to him. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a choice stone. Speaking of Jesus, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. I think that's a verse every Christian should memorize. The one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for unbelievers, a stone which the builders, the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So Jesus is either the, what our lives are built upon, or he's what we reject, and end up tripping on, or stubbing our toe on really bad, stumbling, you know, hitting, running into. Jesus, he's, he can't be in the middle. He's either the source of our life, or he's what trips us up. It's, it's, we, we have to all choose. For they stumbled because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you were those who had not obtained mercy. But now you are those who have obtained mercy. Man, that's our identity right there. Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
people made to demonstrate and proclaim the praises of God. People who are his own people, people who have experienced his mercy and living in that. Um, you know, you think about this whole, like that's just such good words to meditate on and counteract the, the voices of the enemy, the voice of the enemy that tries to pull us down. But to see like, no, if, if we are in God's family, this is who we are. One thing that jumps out to me about this, though, is that all of those things are corporate. Like the stone, stones are pretty cool. Actually, some of us who were working here yesterday on our workday, thanks to everybody out here, we were lifted there. This house was literally built, started the original part in 1880 on a foundation made of Kansas limestone. And a bunch of us were in the crawl space yesterday, lifting out a bunch of old stones to make room for, for what needs to happen. And it's like, but those stones that were laid 140 years ago are still like doing a really good job of holding up a building. And, but it's only because they're linked up with other stones. Like one stone by itself, like that's whatever, that's a nice stone. But to build something out of it, it has to be joined to Jesus and then to other rocks. And it's the same with us. A priesthood, it's not just like one priest, but it's this family of priests. This, it's always this corporate language that for us to live out our calling, it's not just individually, but it's in placement with the people God's placed us with. Um, so, yeah. So we got we to join in with others to be part of the bigger purpose. All right. There's a lot there. just want to kind of review it and apply it here as we bring it home. Um, so... How does, this apply, how does this apply to our life? Let's look at the salvation for something, from something for something. What, uh, what were you saved from? That's one question. That's helpful for me to go back to. I got saved as a kid, but I remember being a little child and being overcome with rage and just like wailing on my sister's back as hard as I could. And I remember realizing, like, that, like, there's a force in me that is stronger than me. Like, I cannot stop myself. And I remember praying to Jesus, like, Jesus, will you change me? Like, take away this, this anger. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. And he did. Like, I was, that went away. At least that extent of it. Not that I'd never have any anger. But, like, that uncontrollable rage. It's interesting I um, had that same conversation with one of my children recently who's experiencing the same thing and realizing, oh, I need God to change me because I, I can't do that myself. Where were you saved from? What do you need to be saved from right now? You know, right now, there are things in each of our life that we need to be saved from. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's judgment, judgmentalism. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust slander. What are the things that if we need God to open our eyes to be like, oh, that's not just like part of me. That is part of me, but that's a part of me that shouldn't be a part of me. That's a part of me that God wants to save me from. What do I need to be saved from? What do I need to repent of and see God bring his transformation in, in my life? Uh, then will I repent? Will I put that off? Will I abstain from the things, those, those fleshly lusts? And, and turn away from them 
and let, let Jesus bring his salvation in my life. What births us is what grows us. Pretty obvious application here is, man, do I crave God's word? Am I hungry for God's word? Do I see it as valuable? Am I like looking at God's word like a baby that's hungry for mama's milk? Am I valuing it? Do I know that I need it? Do I crave it? How will I crave and consume it? You know, how, how will I, and I think that the best thing you can do with, with this is prioritize daily time with God and his word. And just say, I gotta have this. I gotta be like regularly soaking on your word, reading, reading the Psalms, reading the Gospels, reading your word, and just letting your truth come inside of me. What births us is what grows us. We need God's word. And then we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Do you believe you've been called to something bigger than yourself? Really? You know, that's something's bigger than ourselves. Do you believe you've been called to something bigger than yourself? Are you living for more than you? Are you telling other people? I think that's a good, like, if, you, if I really believe that, if I really believe that this is the cause worth living for, and we all need salvation, the world needs salvation, am I, and Jesus has saved me and is saving me, am I letting people around me know about the salvation that, that they need to? Um, and then am I building my life with other people? If I'm called to something bigger than myself, then that means I can't carry it out by myself. Am I linking up and building covenant relationships with other people? so that I can be part of, of God's house, what he's doing. I just, I was just struck thinking about this about, and thinking about Roe v. Wade, just think about how important all this is. And that like, the degree to which the people of God walk in his salvation and then press for that salvation in the world that leads to change coming in the world. And just think about like, man, what God, what do you want to do? Like what, what day of visitation are you ready to bring? What day of visitation are you ready to bring to Manhattan? What, what do you want to do through us? You know, I just, I think our, our minds, I think a lot of us have a sense, a growing sense of like, God, you're up to something really cool right now. Like, you're doing some great stuff. Uh, we're seeing that. We're seeing changed lives. We're seeing synergy coming together, teamwork, camaraderie, faith, raising people up. Like, there's a real sense of that. But I still think, like, if we had, if we could imagine, like, what God is ready to do, it would just blow our minds. And, but I think he wants to stir our faith that like there's a day of visitation. There's a day of visitation that he is ready to bring. He's ready to bring his presence and his, his power. Um, he's ready to bring his gospel through us and through, through other believers here that we'll see person after person, countless people come to know him, come, to, come into his salvation and walk with him. And, man, I think, like, we will not regret leaning into hoping for that and believing for that and aligning our lives with everything we can to be part of his visitation coming. So, um, 
Michael, can we, can we do one of those songs again? I just think that would be good this morning. <coughs> um, Well, what, you can figure out another one. Yeah. There was one you did I thought would be good, but I tried, no, go for it. I don't even remember what it was, so. <laughs> the new one's better. Yeah. advantages of being a small church. That's right. That's right. All right, let's, let's pray, though. And then we'll, yeah, go ahead and stand up. Thank you, God. Lord, thank you that we're saved from something, we're saved for something. God, I thank you that your word that saves us is the word that transforms us and grows us. God, thank you that your word comes to us. God, it's present, it's near. Here, there's nothing lacking and what's needed for us to become the people that you've called us to be. Lord, I thank you that we're experiencing that, and Lord, that you've you got so much more. And God, I um, just also thank you that we are called to something bigger than ourselves, to be part of something so much bigger. And Lord, even thank you for bringing revelation about that. Lord, help us to see the things to turn away from and to see the things to turn to. Lord, we turn to you. We turn to you today. Continue to speak. Even as we worship this morning, Lord, bring revelation, bring vision, bring understanding, bring freedom. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.